So this concept is like a lost jewel. I don't know if you've ever lost anything, but this precious jewel of the tabernacle prayer, I think has been lost generationally. And so its power and its truth and its spiritual application is not something that most people focus on or really understand. And so I wanted to take time today at the outset of this week to really break this down and examine this together. And I'm going to start with Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 and start reading in verse 1. And as you go ahead and turn there, I'm going to give you the context. This is Moses at Mount Sinai, and he had literally gone up to get the Ten Commandments. And as he goes up to get the Ten Commandments, God gives him also instructions to build this tabernacle. And it's this word build that's our focus as a house in this season. And so it really jumped out at me to be able to preach this and put it in this context. So let me read Exodus 25 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose hearts prompts them to give. Verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly like the pattern I show you. You see this pattern, the tabernacle, I want you to imagine it and visualize this as we unpack the Word of God today. And when you put your imagination in place and you think about this, because the tabernacle is a picture of this, you're able to then bring what I believe is one of the most powerful approaches to prayer. And I often think like this when I pray and when I approach God. So let me define tabernacle. What is the tabernacle? The tabernacle literally is a tent of meeting. The tabernacle was this structure that God gave the exact pattern for, made out of linen, that the Israelites would literally build when they would travel in different places in the desert after they left Egypt. So the tent went to many different locations, and literally, as it would move, God's presence would physically come down over the tent of meeting, and God's people would know that God is with them and that God is in this place. And every single detail of the tabernacle has spiritual meaning and spiritual significance. The measurements, the specifications, the colors, I mean, it's so rich in its revelation of God. And so I wanted to pull some of these principles out. There were seven aspects. I'm not going to get them, get through all of them today, but I will start with the first section of the tabernacle. The first section is the outer court. The outer court of the tabernacle, which you can see, I've got a diagram that I wanted to show you. And here you see the, di the diagram, not that one, not the next one, please. This one here is what I wanted to focus on today. This is the tabernacle. And you can see this, the, the rectangular square around it, and we won't get into the measurements, but let me just describe this tabernacle that was erected. The tabernacle was surrounded by seven and a half feet of a linen wall that surrounded it. And this white linen wall that created this place really was striking when you think about how this must have looked in its day in a desert location, this white linen wall that you were unable to get over the top of except for the gate. The gate of the outer court is very precious. And without the gate, you couldn't just wander into 
the courts and into the presence of God. There were specifications that you had to meet. There were things in certain times you had to go there. And, and so you couldn't just walk aimlessly into and wander into the presence of God. And around this white linen, this whole white linen shield, this white linen wall, was the entrance gate, the entrance porch. And the entrance porch, this gate, was made with this fabric that was not white linen, but was made out of purple, out of blue, and out of scarlet thread. And this would represent Jesus Christ that would come much later on, this, this beautiful entrance. And without this, this gate, no one would be able to enter into the outer court area. That's why Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 9. He said, I am the gate. So when Jesus is talking about this, when he came in Genesis, Jesus is talking about the, the tabernacle. He's referring right back to the outset. And so this incredible picture of the tabernacle, that gate he's referring back to is not a one-off experience in the middle of a desert. Jesus is trying to make the point so that we understand that because he is the gate, John 14, 6 says that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And that no one can come to the Father except through him. And so Jesus being the gate means that you and I have the right to enter into the presence of God. So we just can't wander aimlessly into, no, we can actually enter into the very heart and the very presence of God himself. Now many times as I begin to pray and seek God, I have stopped and imagined, what would that be like to not be able to access the presence of God? And then I remind myself as I begin to pray, no, I have access to God because Jesus is the gate. And I physically imagine and, and, and literally visualize myself walking up to the gate through this beautiful curtain, the, the, the purple and the blue and the, and the whole red and scarlet, and then walking in through that gate. Now that's why the Bible gets this principle, and I believe this is the jewel that I wanted to focus on for all of us, so that we can actually appreciate how, how privileged that we are today as sons and daughters of the King of the Most High, that we get to, not that we have to, that we get to be in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us. There is no other way in. You can't, you can't tunnel under the fence. You can't jump over the fence. You can't get around it. You have to go through Jesus. And that's why, and here's the truth, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. Everybody say that word, thanksgiving. thanksgiving. One more time, thanksgiving. thanksgiving. The Message Bible puts it this way. Enter with the password, thank you. <laughs> Let's just stop there. Have you ever seen a miserable Christian before? Not in this church. Have you ever been through life and life has just beaten you down and you don't feel like being in the presence of God? You don't feel like being grateful. You don't feel like being thankful. And you feel like just kind of bumbling through the day. Well, the entrance into God should be intentional, not accidental. And what God is trying to teach us in this is when we approach God, we just don't stumble into the presence of God. No, we come in as a blood-bought child of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice has qualified us to be able to come into the very presence of God himself. And so when we start our attitude, we start with this attitude of thankfulness, which is why Philippians 4 verse 4 says, be cheerful. 
with joyous celebration in every season of life. Let your joy overflow, for you are united with the anointed one. Rejoice always in the Lord. Delight and take pleasure in him. Again, I say, rejoice. And so I'm bringing this first principle out so we get it today, which is this. Start your prayers with thankfulness. Start your prayers from the minute you start your day. Start your day in a grateful way. From the minute your eyes open, you're able to start saying, God, thank you for another day. When you begin to start your way, that's intentional, not accidental. And if we approach this, this is what's so lost today, that we just stumble through life. But when we start our prayer, we start with gratitude. We start with thankfulness. Maybe you're in a place right now where you say, well, it's really difficult to be thankful. It's really difficult to be full of gratitude. Start a journal and list all of the things that you're grateful for. All of the things that you're thankful for, from the people around you to your health, to all these different aspects. And it won't be long before your attitude changes. And when your attitude changes, then you'll find that this thankfulness is very contagious. And so my second principle is this. Before you pray about what you need, thank God for what you already have. That's what thankfulness is. And that thankfulness will change our entrance and our attitude and our approach to God. At the outset of the day, rather than focus on what you don't have and on your lacks and all the challenges that you're facing, Focus on what you do have. Focus on being thankful for who God is. And that thankfulness will open a doorway into your future. Your thankfulness will create opportunities for you that you didn't even know were there before you were thankful. If you can lift thankfulness into its place, you are opening the way for a supernatural miracle in your life. When you start your prayers with thankfulness, you are prizing open the gates of hell and you are creating possibilities and your imagination starts to kick in in a way that will defy logic and defy the circumstances around you because our God is a way maker. He makes a way in the desert. The Bible speaks about it again and again. Does anyone here today need a miracle in their life? Then start your day with thankfulness. Start your prayers that way. Don't come casually into God, stumbling into your day. No, try this week, changing your approach and being thankful. And of course, after we start that gratitude and we get that thankfulness going, Psalm 104 goes on to say this, that we should enter his courts with praise. Okay, there's a difference between thankfulness and understanding what praise is. Being thankful is about expressing our gratitude to God. Praising God is declaring who God is. It's declaring his nature. It's declaring his power. And praise is about declaration. It's about proclamation. And so when you start to understand how to praise God, then everything changes. Psalm 22 verse 3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. See, I wanted to focus on more of a teaching today and give you more Bible today than, than I might n normally do so you can get this picture so clear in your minds. If I could put my picture back up, please, of the diagram of the tabernacle, that would be great. So I'm going to go back to this. So we can see the gate, and we can see the way. We can see the outer court. And now in the outer court, if we enter the outer court of praise, and we enter that with the declaration of how good God is, that means that the, what we hear 
in the courts. The sound of, of what we hear is not the sound of negativity and complaining. That was forbidden in the presence of God. If you wanted to bring an attitude that was contrary, there were literally Levitical priests that would drive you out of the outer courts. And I'm saying that because in our society today, we're often filled with doubts and insecurities, and I certainly have over all the years, and uncertainties and struggled trying to get and maintain sometimes a positive attitude in life. And I've learned that when I start my day with thankfulness and I begin not to focus on my circumstances, but I begin to praise God for who he is. Not for the circumstances around me, but when you praise him for who he is, that's what I'm visualizing in my life. And when I begin to do that and begin to start that attitude, then everything starts to change in terms of the miraculous presence of God around me. That's why Psalm 22 verse 3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. You want more of God's presence? Praise him. You want to experience God's presence in your life? Go ahead and just begin to declare who he is. Another Bible version says, be enthroned in the praises of Israel. And we sing that beautiful song that be enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations. That's who God is. He is timeless. He is incredible. And so whatever situation that we're facing, I want to be able to lift our eyes up as a church and lift our eyes up on all the different things we're seeking and fill our minds with the possibility of God's praise. I mean, I remember the old song, and maybe you've heard it. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my mouth. I will enter his courts with praise. For this is the day that my God has made. Therefore, sin made me glad. Well, thank God we don't sing that song anymore, right? We need another version of it. But I'm like, I remember hearing that song. I'm like, what in the world is that song about? I didn't come through gates today. And I'm like, you know, back then I was a drummer. She's like, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my... And on and on it went. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just weird. And I began to think about this, and what is this? But when I got into the Word of God for myself, and I realized the power of praise will unlock doors that would be closed every other way. And there's this visual illustration now I have. Every time I seek God, I thank God that I'm no longer in the entrance porch. I'm in the outer courts. I'm in the outer courts praising God for who he is. Do you know it's possible to sustain praise in your life at a level where mostly throughout your day you're praising God? That you take a little break in the hallway and you go, Father God, I praise you for who you are. God, I praise you, God, that you have rescued me, and I thank you, God, that your power is eternal. What am I doing? I'm declaring and I'm confessing the power of God over my life. You see, so many people say, oh, Steve, that's weird. Well, I'd rather be weird and praise God and have miracles in my life. I'd rather be called weird by others and see the supernatural provision of God and see debt shattered and see all kinds of miracles happen in healing and all kinds. I'd rather have that in my life than be intimidated by other people who don't understand the power of the tabernacle prayer. And so this is the norm. You see, for Israelites, this was how they did life. Their entire culture was built around the tabernacle. And then later on, Solomon would make this the temple. And then later on, Jesus would refer to this again and again and again. And so this image got to be so clear in our minds that this outer court is where we live as the presence of God manifests at Life Church. 
And so when we come into the presence of God, I would love us to come in with praise. I would love us to come in with this attitude because my next principle is this, that when you praise God, you will become aware of his presence. See, it's one thing just to be in his presence, but I want to be aware of God's presence. I want my senses, I want my spiritual man to understand who God is. I just don't want to come wake up on a Sunday morning and go home. No, I want an encounter with the risen Christ. And when I approach my week and I'm praying about all the situations that I face, I want to make sure that we understand that we don't have to live in this place where God Did you hear my prayers or not? And you're questioning. God, have you got this one? No. We want to be able to know that when we praise him, that he has the power to do what we have asked him to do. And then finally, the first thing that you see when you're in the the outer courts is this bronze altar. And the bronze altar was front and center. If I could put my picture back up. It It was front and center of the courts of the tabernacle. The bronze altar right there, the cross and the blood, represents the cross and the blood. What was the bronze altar? It was a modern day, well, an old-fashioned barbecue. That's what it was. It was this barbecue, and the only way that you could actually go any further was to bring an animal with you and sacrifice the animal on the barbecue. So when you're involved in this, um, the outer courts, I mean, this is the, the, the smell of a barbecue. Anybody the barbecue smell? I mean, come on, you know that smell. Your next door neighbor can barbecue and you can smell it a mile away, right? And, and here we have this huge barbecue sacrificing animals because without the sacrifice of blood, God's people couldn't progress any further. And I thank God that Jesus is our high priest. He died as our one and only sacrifice so that we never have to sacrifice an animal again. Revelations 5, verse 12 says this, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Jesus being this sacrifice for you and I is what the cross is all about. The cross is so powerful for all of us to realize that we are forgiven. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says this, Through Jesus... Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. There it is. Now, this sacrifice of praise is vital for us to understand because there'll be times in our life when we do not feel like praising God. Times in our life when we're beaten down by circumstances. But here the point is that Jesus is saying that we should be continually thankful, continually grateful and bring the sacrifice of praise into the presence of God. And so this reality is what I've often lived in when I begin to pray. I don't feel like praying some days, I'm just being honest. Some of you are like, oh, the pastor doesn't feel like praying. Yeah, I'm I'm like, sometimes I don't feel like praying. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I just struggle. And so, so, so now I'm realizing that as I begin to approach God, that my sacrifice of praise is how I bring God that understanding that whether or not my life is going well or not, I am gonna dedicate my praise to God. I'm gonna make sure that I'm gonna put that attitude on the altar and give whatever that thing is to Jesus Christ and make him first in my life. Seek first. I wanna let you know this is one of the most important principles of life. If you wanna maintain a Christian life of victory, Understand the power and the sacrifice of praise. 
If you want to go from where you are today and achieve great things in this next year, in this next decade, try practicing the sacrifice of praise tomorrow morning when you first wake up. Praise Him for who He is. Praise Him for His eternal power. Praise Him for Him being the all-knowing and all-loving God. And I get it. People say, well, if God is all-knowing and God is all-loving, well, then why do we go through difficult circumstances? Why do we go through all these hard things in life? Well, that's what we need to sacrifice. That's what we need to surrender, our own understanding, and make sure that we bring that in to the presence of God. Now, let me just stop there. As we come through the gate and as we're in the outer courts, and now we've talked about just a little bit about the brazen altar, that's as far as the average Israelite can go. He can go no further. The average Israelite has to live in the outer court. The next section of the tabernacle is the holy place. And inside the holy place is the holy of holies. But the Israelites could not approach that. In fact, the Israelites could not even approach the holy place. They had to stay in the outer courts. Only the priests could take the next step. And only they could go further. And what they could do was go to the next location, which is called the bronze wash basin, which I've got here. This is kind of copper, but you know, bronze. You get the idea. And in the bronze wash basin, the priests were commanded to wash their hands before they went into the presence of God in the holy place. And when they came out from the presence of God, they had to wash again. Now, the bronze wash basin is so cool because, first of all, we've got to understand that as Christians today, we have the right to wash ourselves because we are holy priests. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen nation. We are holy priests. The Bible says that. So every single one of us right now that's listening right now, if you have Jesus Christ right now in your life, you are a royal nation. You are a royal priesthood. Therefore, now you have the right to move past the sacrifice of Jesus and into the very presence of God himself. And so this bronze wash basin is interesting because the priests would come in and they would literally wash their hands. Now, the bronze wash basin represented so much because in all of our lives, we have areas where even though we are physically clean, that we have these areas in our life that are like stains, that are like dark areas of our soul. They're like areas of our conscience and areas of our mind that we know need to surrender to God. And the bronze wash basin is so interesting because it was actually fashioned by mirrors. And when the priests would come to wash, they would wash and they would look and they would see their own reflection in the bronze wash basin. So it was impossible to go into the presence of God without first cleansing yourself from all the different areas in your soul that remind you of your insecurities and your weaknesses. That you would wash yourself, and in that washing, you would remind yourself of how great the Word of God is. James chapter 5 says, if you listen to the Word and that you don't live it out, you are like the person who looks in the mirror of God's Word and forgets who you are. And so when you look at the bronze wash basin, you are reminding yourself not of your insecurities, not of your shortcomings, but what God's word says about you. 
And what I'm saying to each and every one of you today is, regardless of how you feel, and regardless of the mistakes that you've ever made in your life, regardless of any area of sin, if Jesus Christ is in your life, you are a royal priesthood. And nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. So you have the right to wash in this and approach the presence of God. And I, many times I have visualized myself in my prayer, reminded of the mistakes that I've made, and then I remind myself, no, because of what the Bible says about me, I am a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. It doesn't matter about the mistakes that you've made in the past. It doesn't matter, perhaps you've made relational mistakes. Maybe you've lost a marriage and you're in your second marriage. Maybe you've lost a business and you've done things that you regret. When Jesus Christ forgives you, you are forgiven. Entirely and completely forgiven to make a fresh start. So this bronze wash basin is about making a fresh start, a fresh approach to God. And you can't go any further until you settle this principle. So I wanna camp up on this. Because I think today there are people here that you need to understand that the mirror of God's word brings you a sense of forgiveness and identity, not insecurity, but changes the fact that you might just think you're going through the motions in life, but I wanna let you know, God is intentional about loving you. He is intentional about being in your life and he's reaching into your world right now and he's giving you everything that you need for life and godliness, but you've gotta grab a hold of the word of God and wash yourself in the word every single day of your life. Say, well, I don't really do that, Steve. Well, then get a plan. <laughs> if you want to get closer to God this year, like I said a few weeks ago, get a plan and park up in it and begin to read and meditate in the Word of God. Imagine yourself thinking, okay, today I'm washing myself in the power of God's Word. And let that Word feed your inner spirit, your spirit person. And you'll find a strength that you never imagined was there, which is why my fourth principle is this. Remind yourself of who God's word says you are. So let's practice this. Let's just get into this now. Here's a great confession, a great declaration as you wash yourself. The word of God says that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I am a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That one principle will change your life forever. The old is gone and the new has come. How are you making room for God in this next year ahead? It means we've got to get rid of those areas that hold you back. Don't do life where you think, okay, I've got these hidden areas. It's like filling your life and what the Holy Spirit does, he, he examines your soul. Think about David. When David began to move closer to the presence of God, he said to God, God, search me, try me, show me any darkness in my heart and in my mind. What he was saying was, God, search me. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He searches areas in your life and helps you understand how to find true freedom and lasting freedom. He helps you understand that you don't have to live in this place uncertain of your future, uncertain of who you are. No, you can live in a place where you understand that it cost Jesus so much to help you get to this place called victory. Victory is an awesome place. And what this means is that when you are washed like this, and you wash, this is a symbol that as you accept Jesus Christ, that we are washed not with water, but with the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Complete forgiveness, complete and utter forgiveness, which means this, 
the devil and all his demons, all the authorities and principalities and powers, they have no hold over you. No hope. Now how they operate is this. The enemy will remind you of your mistakes. He'll remind you of your shortcomings. And so what you do, every time you're reminded, and every time I've been reminded of my mistakes, I remind the enemy, no, I am washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I'm speaking spiritually because I visualize this, but it means that I am washed completely free, and so are you. You are washed completely free. You are a priest. And you think, well, this is just really weird. Do I have to become, well, wear special clothes or, you know, what does this mean to my life? No, it means you have all authority because of who you are. You see, when you have authority in Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to go well, but it means every time something is broken, every time something goes wrong, you rise up and you take authority because you are part of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, royal family. When you understand that, you take authority, it means that your entire year is not passive. We don't have to be passive and let things happen to us and keep responding to circumstances. No, when you begin to declare, no, I am a new creation, God is putting you on the front foot and he's putting you in the place now when you take authority in your prayers because prayer is a weapon. So whatever you're facing in life, you imagine right now that you imagine, no, I've come through the gate. I've come through that gate. I'm in the courts. I've come through that courts now because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I've come past that brazen altar and now I'm washing myself in the water of God's word. I mean, the purity that happens because of this means our marriages are gonna be transformed. Husband and wife relationships because our security level is gonna be clean. We're going to be clean before God. Our conversations change. It means that we're going to raise a generation who are not afraid to follow Jesus Christ because they will not be tainted by the corruption and by the compromise and by the temptations of the world. So I'm passionate about this because I see a church that is powerful and clean before the eyes of their God. I see a youth ministry, a kids ministry, life group who are clean because of what Jesus has done. And so when we're in the presence of God, we lift our voice and we worship and we praise and we sing and we declare because we're actually in the presence of God himself. So that's why sometimes I get excited when I pray because I realize I'm not just praying on my own. No, I am praying and experience what millions, if not billions of people wanted to experience before the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now we're living in the ever-present reality to know that our God has come and the Messiah is with us. The promised warrior, the lion of the tribe of Judah is with us. And therefore I can be bold and I can be courageous and I can build and I can take authority and I can think generationally, I can think long-term because our weaknesses have been made up for because of who Jesus Christ is. So for anybody who's weak today, you dip back into that water again. For anybody who's tired again, you dip back into that water again. For anybody who's weary, you dip back into the water of God's Word again. For anybody facing marital challenges, you dip back into the Word of God again. For anybody facing temptation, you are clean because of the power of God. You dip back into the Word of God. In fact, soon you start to baptize and you start to pour yourself again and again and again. 
You see, the bronze basin represented the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so much of our life is just, we just get a little sprinkle. We just get a little sprinkle. We just get a little sprinkle. Why would you settle for a sprinkle when you can be immersed in the presence of Jesus? Why would you settle for just a little bit when you and I decide, no, if you want more of God, you go into those outer courts. You want more of God? You go past that brazen altar. You want more of Jesus? You get into that bronze basin called the Word of God. And you determine your future. You determine your victory. You determine what God is going to do for generations to come. Oh, this is a powerful picture of living in the presence of God. Oh, this is so precious. This is what the book of Revelations is all about. Jesus actually referred to the tabernacle and to the temple, and he said, my dwelling place now will be with my people. Our dwelling place with God is is right here. It's what you decided to be. Don't casually approach the presence of God. Don't just stumble into the presence. No, be intentional about being in that presence, his mighty presence. His powerful presence. His presence that changes everything and everyone and every situation. Let's pray. Right now, God, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you became the gate, that you are the way, that because of you we can enter in to the outer courts and we can shout with praise, hallelujah, hallelujah. You are alive and you've risen. And past that, God, now we're reforming as we transform our minds. We renew them in the power of your word. We ask, God, in this place that every single person today would know that they are cleansed by God, cleansed by his word, cleansed by his power, and help this visualization today, this tabernacle prayer. God, help it change our prayer lives from boring and repetitious and monotonous into powerful times of encounter with you, O God. We're asking for that now. We're asking right now in Jesus' name. Hey, as we finish our time together, we want to just take a moment to let you know how much God loves you. Jesus gave his life for you. Whatever you need today starts when you have Jesus in your heart. And if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, why don't you do that now? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you declare him that Jesus is Lord, that you shall be saved. It's just that simple. So we pray that you ask Jesus in your heart. If you want prayer for anything, drop us a note. And in your own words and in your own way now, ask Jesus in.